Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. Like, there are a bunch of different ways to make games, and, like, I, I'm really proud of my layouts, and I think that, like, they do a good job conveying, you know, like, the ones, the, the, the recent ones, the ones, the ones that aren't really old and are just downloaded Google Docs. Um, like, like, I really want to make sure that it's, like, you know, the game, the game is first. My name is Jeremy Gage, and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro. But as always, it is not about me. It is about a very special guest today. This person you've heard on a number of podcasts, and you may have seen a Kickstarter here in the recent few weeks. I would like to welcome to the show, Riley Rethel. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Um, as always, Riley, for the people of the show, would you just give a brief introduction of who you are in case they haven't heard of you before as you present yourself to the internet? Yeah, so uh, my name is Riley Rethel. You can find me on Twitter at Riley Rethel. You can find the games that I write at metagame.itch.io. Um, yeah, uh, I, I design games. I like doing it a lot. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, great. Then that's, that's the best reason why you're here. Um, in addition to that, what was sort of your, as an additional icebreaker to the show, as always, what sort of is your lineage of getting into games? I mean, what was the first game that got you into the hobby or discipline or, uh, and what was maybe the first game that said, Ooh, I could write something for this. Yeah. So my senior year of high school, I got into Dungeons and Dragons actual plays um, you know, watched and listened to those for a while. I got intru- or I got um, what's the word invited to a D and D game with like a bunch of friends that had like were the people who got me into those shows, um, and so that was I played that um, like started like through like 2017, um, and I it's not even like looking back I wasn't having a good time like I knew I wasn't having a good time, <laughs> um, it, I was anxious. So much of it, you know, but it's like, well, it's D&D. It's the thing. It's I really like listening to these podcasts. Like, you know, it's it's my friends. They're great. They're all really invested in their characters. But I just like, oh, I, I felt awful like 80 percent of the time. <laughs> and it's it's wild looking back at that time where I was just I just felt like I had to do that. Um, except I'm still glad that I did, because that eventually got me into Friends of the Table. Uh, which I just, like, immediately fell in love with. I started listening to that um, the beginning of my freshman year of college. Um, kind of obsessively, one might say. Uh, I, there was a month where I caught up where I was listening to eight hours a day, which I don't <laughs> think was healthy. Um, I was also in school. It was just freshman year of college. <laughs> 
But so what really like ended up changing a lot was that summer. It was my second summer working at a Jewish science and technology camp because that is a real thing that exists. It's great. Um, and uh, me and my really good friend, who I'd also gotten into Friends of the Table, Rose, um, we ran um, we ran electives for like role playing games. So we played a little bit of Dungeon World, um, and then we were like, "Oh man, they played The Quiet Year." in front of the table. We'd like love to run that with the kids. Neither of us had played it before. <laughs> we just like decided to do this. And like, it changed my life. Like literally like I, the entire day after, like, you know, it was the first morning elective. We played the quiet year, you know, started it. Um, I'm sure that looking back, I played it wrong because I had just skimmed the instructions like that day, you know, cause I was a camp counselor. You don't have a lot of time. Um, and like, like I was just ecstatic for the rest of the day. Like I was like, God, it just made me so happy because I was like, this is the kind of game I want to play. And then that same summer, um, the assistant director, now director of the camp, shout out to Jamie. Um, she like is was also just like happened to be like a video game role playing game kind of fan. And she was like, hey, uh, I have this game that you guys might like. It's called Dialect. Do you want to like borrow it? And so that last um, like day off that a bunch of counselors had. Uh, me and Rose got some of our other friends, and we played it. We literally played it two and a half times during our 24 hours being off. <laughs> because, like, it was, God, it was so much fun. Um, we just, I'm trying to remember the first. Oh, we, we played, um, it's like the Blades in the Dark inspired backdrop. Um, and we did it as, like, we were, uh, like, a cat cafe, I guess, but for, like, exotic animals. Um... And it, our language was, like, communicating to each other um, about, like, the crimes that we were doing, which is, like, the point of the backdrop. It was so good. Um, I played the, the horrible police officer's daughter who, like, was the only person who got out unscathed in the end. <laughs> yes. Use um, that we, status. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was a really, you know, great commentary on my part, um, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, those were the two games. Like, The Quiet Year for being, like, this is the exact kind of game that I want to play. Like, I want to, I, I really didn't like in D&D. And, like, as I kind of learned later, it wasn't just D&D. You know, like, I have problems specifically about D&D, but I also just have problems, not problems. I have trouble playing games where it's like, oh, the GM, like, has this whole thing planned out. And, like, you are kind of in this video game-esque mode where you're, like, just acting as this one character. Like, my joke is, like, you know... I, I act as a single individual all the time, you know, like are, I, I'm forced to take initiative as an individual all the time. I don't want to do that in a game. Like that's not a power fantasy for me. That's not an escape. Like I, I want to be I want to have the, you know, the escapist fantasy of being able to control like wider things in society because like I can't do that on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's what really appeals to me about games like like, The Quiet Year and Dialect. And I literally, I came home. It's now on my itch page. It took a while to get there because it was, like, before I officially started designing games. But I wrote a backdrop about, like, being a camp counselor. Um, where I so, like, you know, because camp counselors definitely, like, have their own language that they create, like, in the camp. So mm-hmm. you can you can download that for free. It's just a Google Doc. And was that, just ba- was that a game that you created based on your experience at the time or reflecting on that experience at the time? Or is it, is it based on something? Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a dialect backdrop. It's not like a full game. Um, her, which, her. So, so dialect, I should say, is a game where you are creating a language um, and then you're kind of watching it die, um, which I think, 
I, I have, I, one day I'm going to write, like, the dialect hacker or whatever, where, like, you can just make a language that's longer or a different, but that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it comes with these backdrops where, you know, you kind of answer these questions about your group. It's called the isolation. And then it has, like, little, like, oh, in your first round, uh, this is the thing that happens that starts to show that there's a problem. And then, like, here's the thing. It gets worse. And the last thing is, like, oh, your, your uh, language is gone. So, um, obviously, like, a camp counselor, you can't be, like, you're dying in the cold of space or whatever. Um, so, one of them was just, oh, the summer's ending. And the other one was, which, God, looking back is even more, like, uh, was, like, um, basically, there was a, an epidemic going around camp. And everyone was getting sick, and they had to close it. Which did not happen that summer, but there was uh, people, like, there were counselors that brought whooping cough. And it went around. I had to go to the clinic twice. <laughs> Um, like it was, it was a mess that summer. Um, so that was definitely sort of based at least on, um, real life experience, which, uh. Yeah. Woo. Woo. <laughs> I still wait for the next two years per the recording of this episode. Let's, mm-hmm. let's figure it out. Pandemic folk. Um, what an amazing, so I love all that. I feel like it's, it's one of the more unique versions of, of, tabletop lineage dicey. I mean, everyone's lineage is very similar in the fact that I played a game, I really <laughs> loved the game, I made it, I made the game. Uh, and so, but it's it's nice to hear sort of that unique path there. Um, I am also a fellow binger, uh, especially when it comes to like anime and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. I will I will crush out an anime in a day if someone tells me it's good enough uh, or if I find that it's good enough. I remember I watched... Uh, Oh, uh, when Demon Slayer got super hyped up by Ninja on Twitter, I was like, oh, this is actually probably interesting. I probably crushed all 19 episodes in two days. <laughs> or, better yet, I watched all of Steven Universe in, like, four days. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, a lot. I, I, I don't do it a lot, but when I do, it's, like, to a level where people are asking me if I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I feel that. I totally slack on on writing and things for sure. I'm like, I need to absorb all of this right now. Um, amazing. Uh, I'm still, The Quiet Year is still on my bucket list of two reads because this, you're probably the 15th person to <laughs> have recommended it to me on the show. Uh, but Dialect, I think actually there's been one, I think maybe it was Gordon Murphy, Gordy Murphy, who... Uh, also talked about dialect because of his game um, Apotheosis, where you sort of create an oral story and see how that changes over generations. Oh, that's cool. That's, yeah, it's very love cool. Love that. Uh, but amazing. Great. Well, let's, uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the damn show, the middle section. Let's talk about Galactic 2E. So... Uh, this is the second edition. I'm not privy to the first edition. So, Riley, would you share with everyone maybe what the spark was to create the first edition and maybe also the spark that you're like, man, I kind of got to, I may have to revisit this and, and add some things. Yeah, so the first edition of Galactic I wrote, um, I started writing in December 2019 mm-hmm. and then finished in, you know, like January, February uh, 2020. Um which is so weird to think about now. It feels like it was so much longer ago than yeah, that. Yeah. Um, time is extremely fake. Um, <laughs> but basically, I watched The Rise of Skywalker, and I am one. Of, I am 
possibly the only person I know that like genuinely had such a good time watching that movie. It wasn't good. It was a very <laughs> bad movie. But like as someone who like I didn't get into Star Wars until um The Force Awakens came out. Mm-hmm. Like I'd watched I'd watched 4 and 5, not in that order. I'd watched 5 in 7th grade and 4 in 10th grade, both for school, like in school. So that's a very weird way to watch Star Wars. Um <laughs> And like I didn't really, I didn't really care about it. Um, but uh, Force Awakens came out, and people were like saying really good things about it. So I saw it, and like it, it was just so like joyful. Like especially like the scene where Finn and Poe escape in the X wing, or yeah, or in the Tie Fighter or whatever it is at the beginning of that movie, like is one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever because like there's just so much genuine like joy, and it made me so happy. And so like that kind of was what got me into Star Wars. Um, and, like, watching Rise of Skywalker was, like, I knew, like, the thing is, I, I had problems with The Last Jedi, um, just because I only care about Finn and Poe, and they were kind of both screwed over. Uh, that's a whole other thing. I already, you know, it's whatever. Um, yeah, <laughs> the Last Jedi is a movie I get it, exists. we can dive in. <laughs> um, and so, like, so, and also because it was J.J. Abrams, like, I knew this wasn't going to be a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like, the at best, it was going to be, like, have a couple things that were good mm-hmm. um so i'm glad that they just went no we're gonna do like the stupidest nonsense possible it just felt like a parody of everything that i already thought was like silly about star wars like everyone's related um you know god i can't even remember what else but like me and my brother were just dying laughing the whole time and like i had so much like that is the most fun that i've had watching a movie probably well until i saw knives out like a month later and that was so, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> that Knives Out is probably my favorite movie ever, but that's a whole other thing. Love it. Um, Love that movie. It's very good. Um, so, anyways, like, after that, I was thinking a lot about Star Wars, and, you know, I had just, I had just come off writing Venture, which was my first Belonging Outside Belonging game, um, like, you know, a month before. And for some reason, I was like, I, I gotta write another one. Um, so I, I worked on that, you know, like, through winter break, um, until a little later. Um, and so, like, basically what that was was, like, a standard Belonging Outside Belonging game. It had six playbooks, um, uh, which which 2E still has, and four setting elements. Those are all the same in Galactic 2E. The main thing that was different was just it didn't have all of the stuff that I kind of added to B.O.B., and it didn't have the Wander Home inspiration because Wander Home wasn't out yet. Um, so it was, like, a very basic kind of, you know, belonging outside belonging game Mm -hmm. the main things that i changed were just like venture um i got rid of regular moves because i just they don't work with me i Mm -hmm. don't really get the point of them Mm -hmm. um yeah i love that change i love that change wholeheartedly i think lateral moves are very very cool yeah thank you that's that's a new two-e thing Mm -hmm. um so it just was strong and weak moves and then the other thing that i did was i took lures out of the um playbooks and i put them in the setting elements instead Mm -hmm. because i wanted there to be like incentive to interact with the setting elements which like there really wasn't um in like regular bob so those are the main things that i did in galactic 1e and i kind of knew like i can do better i just don't want to right now (laughs) you know like it like it had been in my in my mind for a long time like i want to go back to this game um in a way that i didn't with venture just because i feel like venture kind of is more of a thesis than it is a game. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is what you can do with D&D tropes. I made it good. Here you go. 
Um, whereas Galactic is like, I want to be able to tell stories like Star Wars. Like, the mm-hmm. things that interest me about Star Wars are not the things the movies focus on. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm interested in the Force as, like, I would say as a Force. Like, as a societal thing, you know? Like, they're, it's a religious thing, but it also, like, exists in the world. So there mm-hmm. are probably people who think about it in different ways. Like, that's what I want to explore. Mm-hmm. Like, let's actually talk about the fact that there is an oppressive empire and people fighting against it. Like, we can do more with that than just referencing Triumph of the Will, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so, like, that's really, like, I, I wanted that to be able to, like, tell stories. So, the reason that I started working on the second edition when I did is basically, um, I have a mutual on Twitter, uh, shout out to Jess, at Jess from online on Twitter, who started a galactic campaign and was like, yo, this game rules, you know, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And, uh, also she asked me, like, hey, why, why did you change lures from playbooks to setting elements? And so I kind of started explaining why I did that, which is, like, um... I don't really like lures the way that they work in BOB because they are a move that the only person who can see it is the person who cannot use it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's not great for, like, actually being able to engage with it. They also feel really specific. Um, And I also just wanted the setting elements to be able to be engaged with in the token economy. Um, And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I'll I'll kind of incorporate that more into a game because I've been thinking about revising it. And then, like, later that week... I, I woke up probably at, like, 4 or 5 a.m. I couldn't go back to sleep and was like, screw it. I'm going to open up this document that I haven't opened up in, like, a year. Um, and uh, the first thing that I did was I was looking at, I think it was the Ace um, playbook probably, because that's the first one in there. Um, and I was looking at the moves, and I did a couple enters on some of the strong moves. And I, I wrote, I, I, like, went to the end of the move, and I wrote comma and give them a token. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it started. Um, so that was kind of the first thing that I did was um, adding lateral moves. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, oh, it's great. What, there'll be so much, there's so much more to explore here for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably one of my least, uh, I guess this is a weird uh, word for it, but like system phenomenons. So like, Blades in the Dark is a system phenomenon. Powered by the Apocalypse is a system phenomenon. To me, this mm-hmm. is like my own personal yeah, sure. language. So Belonging Outside Belonging is sort of my least uh, explored system, like the token-based sort of system. I get the general idea, but it's nice to ha- be exposed to so many different variants of this game and how the the moves and tokens uh, are being manipulated here in Galactic specifically. There, When I've played uh, a... Two set one session, two sessions of sleep away, um, and I played the the rope rope keeper ropes keeper both times, but I agree with you in that the regular moves. Uh, it was like why why am I using these? They don't really like sure they they can help guide maybe a narrative here, but they're not really supplying me any like any incentive to use them. Right, I either want to use a strong move or I want to use a weak move. Um, Kind of, I guess, specifically in this moment, since we're on the topic, how did you, what was the feeling you're trying to capture with lateral moves and like why, why write them in this way? Yeah, I do. I do really quick just because I think it's really interesting. Um, I remember like back when I, it might have just been when, when Just Venture was out. I can't remember when it was, but I got a DM. I think it was from Jammy. Sorry if that's totally wrong. Uh, Jammy, love you. Uh, <laughs> Jammy Najati, fantastic game designer, like just amazing. Um, I, th- I think it was them who messaged me like, hey, 
how do you do BOB without regular moves? Like, how, like, like, how do you play that? And I was just like, what do you mean? Like, and, and like for them, it was like really important um, for like their players who they played with for mm-hmm. like to understand like what their characters were doing. And like, that was really interesting to read too, just because like they just felt so useless to me. So like, you know, to be fair, hashtag not all gamers or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like uh, they are, they are apparently useful to some people and I, I respect that. Um, however, they are also very hard for me to write, so they're still gone. Um, but yeah, so lateral moves, what, like, it's one of those things where it feels, like, very natural for me, um, to add to the BOB system, because it, to, like, honestly, looking at it, it almost feels like it's missing from Mm -hmm. the original one. Interesting. Um, which, which I think is what lures are supposed to do. Um, but, like, like, BOB is a system where you, you are doing... Like, you're doing weak and strong moves, you're gaining tokens, and you're losing tokens, um, but you don't really have a lot of chances to interact with the other characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, that works. Like, like it feels weird to say that and then be like, well, it works because these are games about community. Um, but I think, like, in the original Dream Apart and Dream Askew, it, like, really works because these are about individual characters exploring, like, they're kind of individual relationships with each other um and it's it's not so much about like oh here take this token and do this other thing you know like it might be i'm gonna take a token and then we can think about what that means because i just did a move Mm -hmm. whereas galactic i wanted it to be more like like everything kind of fits into the mechanics of the game because it's a game that's more about plot than Mm -hmm. most belonging outside belonging games like i i think it, it works because it's supposed to be more cinematic Um, you know, like it's really what I look at, um, the way that I look at lateral moves is they're not about like, oh, this token represents like your energy or like your strength or whatever. Um, because there's literally, you know, there's lateral moves. It's like, I hurt you and you, and give you a token. And there's lateral moves that are like, I heal you and gain you a token and give you a token. Mm -hmm. So like, if you're looking at it as if it represents any kind of like in world resource that just doesn't. That just, that wouldn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it as, like, these are representing, like, story beats. They're representing where the spotlight is. Then, like, it totally makes sense. Because Mm -hmm. when you do, I hurt you and give you a token, you are saying, okay, I just, you know, you know, we were fighting and I just pushed you across the room. And, you know, now the spotlight is on you. What do you do? Mm -hmm. And that works as a story beat. And just as well, it works when, you know, that that same character comes back to the rest of their friends and is like, oh my God, I just had the worst fight. Um, you know, and somebody goes, oh, let me use my magic powers to heal you or whatever. Mm. Uh, okay, now now you have like the ability to fight back again. Like both of those things work as story beats because that is what they are supposed to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like I, I tried to say in the instructions for Galactic and I did threads about it too, um, is like these are supposed to be about like sharing the spotlight. And, like, when you, um, when you take a token, that's, like, you saying, I'm going to use this later. I'm going to do something cool later. Mm-hmm. When you give someone a token, you're saying, okay, now it's your turn, etc. I fucking love that so much. I, I think that, you know, I come from a very, like, trad game background, like D&D and video games and a bunch of resource management type stuff. And what I love... Hear about lateral moves is the other part of my brain that's not op- that 
actually isn't often itched by a lot of role-playing games is the sense of like plot control and also um, player sharing. So what I mean by player sharing is like in improv, there's such a thing as like kicking the can. Like you're you're passing the ball over to somebody to have them engage with the narrative or theater of the mind that you're building on the stage. And I feel like in a lot of RPGs, those mechanics are expensive aren't explicitly built in. So it creates a lot of vagueness and wiggle room and abstraction for the players at the table who may not have the experience to understand those improv techniques, right? Someone who may be sort of, this is their first time role-playing. They don't really understand how to receive the ball or how to give the ball, right? But because you've built in these lateral moves, I think it's absolutely brilliant that it basically gives an option like, hey, I'm going to initiate this thing in our narrative, in our shared narrative right now, and I want you to be able to kick the ball back to me. Here's a token, right? So that later they can strong move or even do like come back with another lateral move. Like they can start. I think what it helps to do is help planning and seeing like where everybody's sort of going with each move use, right? It's it's adding um sort of like a hand-holding. Both the system and each player are hand-holding with each other when they say, I use, I execute this lateral move, um, and now you have a sense of, like, where I want to go with your character, like, where my character wants to go with your character. Let's see how you respond to that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a really good way of putting it because, like, a lot of the tech that I added to Galactic 2E, like, is specifically for that purpose of, like, being able to set things up in Mm -hmm. the fiction and then being able to pay them off later. Like, other things would be, like, now setting elements, which I I call pillars now, um, which I I really like that word. I'm really happy with it. It was a a last-minute change, so um, I'm not even, like, used to it. Um, I've stolen it. It's fine. It's good. (laughs) Good. Um, Those, they have moves now. Like, they have, setting elements have moves in B.O.B., but they have token moves. Mm -hmm. So the... um, they only have gaining tokens and giving and lateral move tokens. They don't have, um, they don't have strong moves just because I I didn't really think that like really served a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so 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 there's that, and then also I have which I stole from Wander Home and then added a bunch of token stuff to it. Um, is traits which Wander Home just has. Um, basically, you it's a d sixty six table of different traits, and then each of them have three moves, um, either gaining token moves or giving token moves. And you build a character by picking two of the traits or, or rolling for them, obviously. Um, and then you pick one to two moves from each trait, and then you just have those. Um, and then the NPCs, so those, those are for NPCs. And the NPCs are attached to the pillars. Mm. So you don't have to worry about, like, a bajillion token pools. You just have basically four extra. You have one for each uh, pillar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically my philosophy with the pillars and with the traits is the the... I keep wanting to call them weak moves because that was another last-minute change because I knew I wanted to change. I did not want to call them that. It just does not work with what it is at all. Sure. Uh, sure. So they're called vulnerable moves, and those are more for the players. Like, the playbooks have vulnerable moves, and then really I would just call the ones for the pillars and the NPCs, like, uh, gaining token moves Mm -hmm. Um, because Mm -hmm. they are just... What they are is just more saying, like, hi, I am a, a... I am a thing in this story now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> because, like, you, you could have an NPC that you just don't do anything with, but then you have your weak move. Like, let's say your, your NPC is, like, cynical. So the gaining token move for cynical is roll your eyes and gain a token. <laughs> so, like, 
that's not really like you're not doing a lot when you just say but but that's like oh this character is in this scene too and he rolls his eyes now you're saying oh okay this character is engaged in it and then you might use their other move Mm -hmm. you know i god i i can't even think of what the other moves are but like there's probably something that's like explain why someone is wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Then might say, oh, they roll their eyes and then they give a whole speech about how your plan is bad and they should go with yours instead. Then now they're a character in the narrative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, so the, the gaining token moves there are kind of about announcing that. It's the same thing with pillars. Like my favorite one is the mandate, which is like my serial numbers filed off version of the empire. Yep. Um, <laughs> which it's uh, gain a token move is uh, foreshadow a larger threat and gain a token. So, like, you're doing the same thing there. You're saying, like, oh, you're hacking this computer, and you see that there's a file labeled Death Star. Ooh, what could that be? Or whatever, you know? Um, so what then you could can, that be? <laughs> totally unaff- unaffiliated Death Star. Sorry, yeah. Disney. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, uh, uh, pain, pain planet. That's, that's pain not the planet. same thing. <laughs> you know. I, I need that. <laughs> I feel like that's a whole other game that I am not the person to write. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so like what you're doing there is you are you're foreshadowing the threat that you can then pay off later when you do the mandate move, put someone in immediate danger and give them a token. And then when you do that, you're saying, oh, you're in immediate danger. And now you have a token. What do you do? And you say, oh, I pull out my my Astro Blade, which is my serial numbers filed off version of a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you kill the the mandate officer who's holding you or maybe you you know you don't actually get out and that's a continued kind of uh token sharing thing Mm -hmm. but like that's that's what all of those moves are they're about like having a way to set things up Mm -hmm. um and the other thing that they do is they are i wanted to make it way easier for players to gain tokens which is funny like literally right before this um I, i listened to a couple episodes of draw your dice today um (laughs) <laughs> as you know Shucks. research uh, but i was <laughs> i listened to, to eli sites talk about um well it, it was not called thursday yet but uh, mm-hmm. his game thursday which i've also talked to him about um like you know with with our voices um <laughs> and like he also talked about how he wanted players to have more opportunities to get tokens but like in a totally different way which which is really cool um because like we both kind of had this thing where like in BOB, you often feel like it's it's really hard when you only have weak moves. Like, the only way that you can gain tokens is having your character specifically do a weak move. Mm-hmm. Where, like, maybe that's maybe it's just not the time. Mm-hmm. Um, or playing into somebody's lure, which are very easy to forget they exist, and also yeah. they're very specific. Um, so, like, that's not a lot of options, and so you you've also feel really precious about your strong moves. Mm-hmm. Um but when you have all of these options, like you have, oh, instead of doing something for me, I can go over to the mandate and say, ooh, what if there was a threat? Or I can go over to the liberation and be like, oh, here's an interesting rebel character to introduce. And I'm going to have them take a token for the liberation to then give me a token and then I can spend the token or whatever. you know. Or somebody, if you want to be like, hey, I want to do the strong move. Can somebody do a lateral move at me? And somebody can do that. So like, there's way more ways to get tokens, which means that people don't feel as precious about them. And mm-hmm. so, like, like I just want them to be circulating way more. Yeah. No, uh, really, like, fucksing with the, with the token economy is really powerful because I felt similarly when I played Sleepaway in that, um, you know, I was trying my best to engage as many, like, 
I am sort of the min-maxing power gamer. I come from like Diablo and uh, action action games, action RPGs and stuff like that. And so like I'm all about like getting as much as I can out of a system. And for sleep away, I was trying to engage in as many weak moves and strong moves as possible. I barely touched my regular moves. Um, often I would forget people's lures as, as well because I couldn't see them. And then... Uh, but it always felt limited. It always felt like a one for one. Like I would have to do one weak move and then be able to use one strong move. And like, I, I guess I can understand that pacing of it, but for yours and for Thursday, uh, I feel like having all these options to engage in moves that supply token economy for everybody. Like it's not even just like a selfish version, right? It's like, both the lateral moves and the pillars give it to other people uh, when you want to sort of intercede on the narrative. In fact, as you were talking about pillars and sort of your intent behind them, for me, I feel like it combines a lot of GM elements, like GMing elements that have these, like some variations that I mentioned, is it reminded me of the GM interactions from Numenera where uh, when the GM intercedes on a scene, they have to supply, like, a resource or something like that. It reminds me of, like, locations, but also truths from Ironsworn, how these four pillars are things that are the setting. Like, these are a part of the story, and they have to be interacted with, and so they will interact with you. And then it also kind of makes me feel like it has these elements from Band of Blades, where you have the commander roles, and... um, everyone has sort of like a say about the GMing uh, responsibilities, more of like the mechanical responsibilities than uh, setting things. And I feel like pillars, this concept of pillars is a very cool unison of all those pieces I like about those games. And I, you know, I would love people to use this concept a lot more. I think it's like, I imagine a, you know, going, just go going back to a trad game like D&D, right, where you say a truth like, oh, there is a um, necromancer. This even, like, does things like fronts for Dungeon World as well. This is very, Mm -hmm. like, fronts as well for me. It's, like, the necromancer and create that sort of, like, pillars template, and then you can engage in necromancer moves throughout the entire series, because that's one of the main story beats, right? One of the main narrative pieces. So, Pillars are is a is a collapse. It's a collapse. It's an applause. It's smart. Uh, I'm Thank here you. for it. I'm here to use it. <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, it's very good. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So with those sort of changes, how did you adjust for like locations? Right? Like, do the pillars also supplement for locations from Bob games? Like in Sleepway, I know there's like the uh, the meadow and the the lake and stuff like that. How did you account for those things or not? Like, did you just decide to remove them? So I think I think I, I, <laughs> I have not read Sleepaway. literally. So my, my sleepaway thing is, um, I was talking to Jay dragon mm-hmm. back when Jay was, um, planning to kickstart it. Mm-hmm. And Jay was like, Hey, do you want to write a stretch goal for this? And I was like, hell yeah. Camp counselor game. Give it to me. Um, I was literally at the airport going to fly to, like, a a camp counselor training seminar thing, um, which was great. Um, And actually eventually led to me uh, being one of the organizers for Doakate. So that, you know, shout out to Cornerstone. That was a a great experience. Um, But anyways, so so I get Sleepaway, and I read it, and, like, 
I'm like, oh, this is a horror game. Mm-hmm. I do not like this really like the idea of being a camp counselor and like going back there, even though like it's a horrible time and mm-hmm. everyone is like like it, it really like struck me. And I was like, I'm sorry. This game looks cool. I cannot interact with it ever again. Sure. And Jay was like, yeah, no, I totally get it. Um, so that was a long way. That was I just think that story is funny. <laughs> so that that is all to say I have not read Sleep Away, so I don't know exactly what you're talking about with those locations. But I, I think that that is a that is a J Dragon thing, not a Bob thing. Oh, her um, again. See my lack of experience with Bob, and thank you for being vulnerable about that that story there as well. Um, yeah. So, but there are there are places. Uh, so, again, I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming that the locations in Sleepwear are in some way a precursor to um, Nature's at Wander Home because that's where I kind of took. Mm-hmm. So I also have, along with the D66 table of traits, which I just stole from Wander Home, I also have a D66 table of places, mm-hmm. which I basically stole from Wander Home. Um, it's not quite, the, it's not, they're not quite as in-depth as the Wander Home ones. They mm-hmm. don't have extra moves because I figured I had enough. <laughs> um, like, let's, like, mine is already more overwhelming than a, a traditional B.O.B. So, like, let's, let's not go over our heads. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so basically I just wrote, um, 36, um, places and you pick, um, you choose two to three aesthetic elements, um, and then you choose one to two things that are rumored to be there, mm-hmm. um. And so, like, those can kind of be, like, if you're not really sure what your plot is going to be, you can be like, oh, where are we? Oh, we're in a desert. Uh, That's cool. Like, what if there's... I say these things as if I can remember what I wrote for those. Um, (laughs) Oh, there's there's rumored to be, like, an oasis with healing waters. Oh, what if we're trying to look for that because, you know, one of our... One of our leaders is is deadly sick, and so we have to get it before they die. Oh, that's cool. Like, okay, now, like, what happens in the desert? Um, And you can also kind of take a couple of them and mush them together. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe there's a desert, and right next to it is, like, a metropolis. Mm -hmm. And um, you're kind of, you know, you you came from the desert into the city, and you have to, like, you know, convince the politician to support you. I don't know. There's lots of different stories you can tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so like that, those are kind of what those are for. But they don't. They're the only thing in there that doesn't really have like a big mechanical thing because mm-hmm. they're just kind of supposed to set the scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not. Well, I think it's nice because uh, in in sort of the places you're providing a lot of like narrative prompts, which I think uh, is also something that a lot of like traditional games don't. When I say trad games, I, I'm mainly speaking to the the dragon in the room. Uh, as far as that's concerned, but they don't really supplement, like, I know the DMG has a bunch of tables for, like, villains and their motives and things, but it doesn't feel concrete. It doesn't give you, like, anything specific to kind of, like, jive with. So what I love about these in that, in their simplicity of just being prompt generators is that, in that they're very good prompt generators for creating really interesting things to touch on, and you can get so much out of just one area, right? So, like, the desert, uh, for for those who may not have Galactic, but you should totally get Galactic, because I don't know why you don't already have it. It's a great case study, for sure. Uh, but it's aesthetic elements. You have about eight listed here. You get to pick two or three of them. The combinations are dozens and dozens. And then the sort of rumors, you get to pick one or two of them. There's about six or seven listed, depending on the particular place in question. And again, the combinations there are at least two dozen. So like 
And then in those combinations of combinations, like you can just get so much from one of these sections just by picking different pieces. And then you get so many different types of narratives also dependent on the playbooks that are in play and the moves that led up to this and the moves that are leading away from this and all those things. So I think it's a very good, like fills the middle ground of all the heavy mechanical bits in that uh, it's like, what is that analogy? It's that, it's that, I don't know if anyone's heard. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's a story about like uh, this this college professor comes in, has a jar, puts a bunch of like ping pong balls in it, then puts some rocks, then fills it with some sand. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the concept of like, there's only so much room for so many different types of things. And when your jar is full, your jar is full. So what I'm basically alluding to, very long circle to get here, uh, is that I think the places... Is, is the sand. Like, there's very cool, large, meaty ping pongs and rocks inside ping pong balls. Pong balls? I don't know what they're supposed to be called, but there are these very large... I think... I think we should just start calling them ping pongs. I love that. Ping pongs! <laughs> you, you know, the game ping pong. You play with the ping pong? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Come get your ping pongs. Uh, very large, very large ping pongs uh, to to see and to really get an idea about. And then there, all the places are the sand that fills the rest of the jar and creates a very complete, full, voluminous narrative potential, uh, which is very... And, it's worth it's worth every dollar. There's no doubt about that. And it could be worth more because it's so smart. So, you know, charge 50 bucks for it. I don't know. <laughs> Wizards of the Coast gets to charge $150 for their game. So, fuck me, I guess. <laughs> God, yesterday um, I went out and I saw, um, like, my brother really wanted candy. There was, like, a candy shop. I went in. I was like, what are these little D20 tins? There's there's D and D branded candy, and I'm so mad. And now my mission is to get my own branded candy. I was talking I was talking about like little like wafers that are like tokens, and when you do a strong move, you can eat them. Oh god! But then you run out. It's so that's genius. I think you should. That's what, you have to buy more. Yeah. <laughs> Riley is is business central 101. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Um, amazing. Uh, anything else you sort of want to elaborate on, on Galactus, something that you think is really cool or were there any like hardships in, in writing like something that just took a long time to come to fruition for you? Long um, time being relative cause time is a concept. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. It took a long time ago and, um, <laughs> yeah. So, so with regard to things that took a long time, um, there is still like a pretty big, uh, chunk of the game that I, I really like the the sand thing like the the idea of like the ping pong balls in the sand because I do feel like that's that's very much how that game works where like some of it is like these are the things that you do and some of it's like here's some other stuff if you want mm-hmm. um so one of those here's some other stuff if you want is um what I call paths which are basically like they're also very much taken from a bunch of J Dragons games mm-hmm. um and the way that those those games have like um different kind of like oh if you do this you get an extra move and stuff um, and also, oh my god, what is it called? This Night on the Rooftops by C.M. Rusbach or something. I feel bad. I do not know their name. Um, but, which also has a kind of, I realized that I stole the name also. That game also has paths. I didn't realize that at the time. Um, but basically they are, you can kind of choose, like, this is the journey that I want my character to go on. And this is more for, like, um, like you, I haven't used them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that group, um, that, 
Jess has is the main playtest that I've had for them so far because I do not have the time or energy to run, uh, like, longer games. Mm -hmm. But basically you kind of pick, like, this is the journey that I want my character to go on. You know, I'm interested in them turning to the dark side. I'm interested in them. Um, one of them is called, like, Gaining a Heart, which is, like, kind of, you know, maybe you're, you're one of those, you're, like, a Han Solo type, and you're, like, I don't need anybody in, like, learning to, to like, have a community. Um, there's one that's, like, about training in the space between, which is, like, my version of the Force. Um, and so some of them are, like, when you do the certain thing, you get a move. Um, and some of them are, like, uh, you know, you're, you're searching for the answers to, like, your past. And whenever you can, you can ask this question and gain a token and, um, like, fill in a segment of the clock. And when the clock fills up, then um, you, you find the answer. Uh, and I'm still working on them just because, like, I really like the core idea of, like, having these kind of frameworks that you can choose to have when you play longer games. Um, and, like, I've gotten some really good feedback, um, like, from Jess and the other players in that game. But, like, it, it, they just need a bit more work. I'm still not, like... Like, all of what I've said is kind of what I have now, but that's not exactly what I want it to be, mm -hmm. just because I want it to be more of, um, like, a thing that, like... Like, they, they feel very tacked on, and I want them to be, like, be able to be more incorporated into play, and I, I think I want to add stuff where, like, there are paths where you can ask questions to players, and that's kind of the main thing, because I am the number one Ask Left Questions fan. Um, you know, I, I'm a leftist. I like ask left questions. Um, <laughs> and so, like, like I want them, I want it to be a lot more, which is why, like, I'm hoping to have it out soon because, like, there are at least two people who are, like, working on, like, hacks and stuff of them based on what I've already put out. Mm -hmm. So, like, I, I want to have mine out before they put theirs out. <laughs> um, so, we'll see. Um, but but I am I am excited about, like, the idea of paths. Mm -hmm. And then... With regard to what else I'm excited about, I do really quick just want to talk about like the yeah. GM agnosticity of Galactic 2E because it's it's something that I'm that I think is really cool in games in general. Um, like I, I I I only started seeing stuff about GM agnosticity recently. I I can't remember if it was Wander Home was the first one that I heard like it being talked about. Mm. I I don't remember now, but it's definitely a word that I've started using. Especially, like, in my brain that reads a GM's game and goes, I could make this GM-less. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, like, I read Aegon, and I was like, there's no way this game needs a GM. Um, I've thought the exact same thing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and um, I, I really want to play um, The House Doesn't Always Win, which I think would also be pretty easy mm -hmm. to make GM-less. Um, but, but Galactic 2E was very much written, um, kind of taking from Wander Home in that respect, of, like, I want, like, like these things are so obviously, like, tools that people can use in a lot of different ways. Like, you can play pillars. Like, you're saying, that like, those are based on GM stuff, and, like, that's not an accident. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think it would totally be a really good game if one person was in charge of all the pillars, and then everyone else played characters. And, like, that would be pretty similar to a GM kind of game. But, like, when I was thinking about that, I was like, you could do more mm -hmm. um like you could you could be weirder about it like we don't have to ha like we don't have to have this dichotomy of like either everyone shares the pillars and playbooks or one person is in charge like what if you had a game of four players two of them each had two of the pillars and then the other two had like playbooks and they mm -hmm. were playing characters you could do that you could have a game where four there are four people they're each in charge of a pillar and then one person yeah <laughs> has 
has one playbook and they are playing a single character on like a really weird journey where there's inter- they're interacting with a bunch of NPCs and like forces and stuff. Like like there's so many ways to do that and like that was really important to me. Um, that like Galactic Two E is is more of like a like a toolkit. Mm-hmm. You can be like, you know, I want to I want to play this way because like like honestly I I I didn't really think about that stuff until kind of. Um, like, I didn't get to play Test a Ton because I was working on this game while I was also doing, um, an inter- like, internships um, for pharmacy school. So I didn't have, like, a ton of time to play test. Um, and so I didn't get a chance to play test any of those versions. But I, I really want to now. Like, 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 playing with, you know, a couple people in charge of pillars and then, like, you know, one or two people with characters. Because I, I think that would be really cool. I, um... <clears throat> I have been on both of these. I have, I have really interesting things that, that I'd like to elaborate with. One for things you're proud of talking about the different versions or modes of play of games. That's been kind of a hot thing in my mind right now about because I interviewed Jeff Stormer, uh, who has anyone can wear the mask, and it has some modes of play where you take like take out a a, a player type. And just have it interact like a two-player mode. It has sort of like a solo mode. And then um, MV also wrote in modes for ASCII Delve as well. So just this concept of like, I think there's something about leaving behind the traditional sense of like, this game is designed for three to four players and only operates in one version. I think there's a better sell for games that have like, hey, we have like Iron Sworn was really hot because it had a solo version, a co-op version, and it could be GM'd if it if they wanted to. So I think there's something really to explore about modes of play, which is very fascinating uh, that you bring up here. In that, also like I imagine a troop style one where one player is operating four playbooks, and then there's another player who does all the pillars, right? Like. I don't know what that yeah. looks like in, in concept, but it's it's a version of the game that can be executed because of the way you've designed it. There's a lot of different ways to like slice up the pie, right? And then on the paths front, I've also been thinking about this concept of uh, using basic narrative tropes like a revenge story or a redemption story or a horror story or something like that. And using it as like a piece of character creation, like you're um, like you have an inciting incident, you have a mounting complication, you get your climax, and then you have your resolution, right? And these may all have like abilities attached to them, or they may not. Or you can, you know, you maybe build up a meter that says, okay, now I can do my inciting incident, and let's see what that looks like on a personal level. Or if that's shared with like other characters at the table, like I think there's something there about changing the concept like i was thinking about like D backgrounds and how they don't really matter at the end of the day like being an mm-hmm. act like doesn't mean anything except to like be fuel for um role play right like i think that what it does do in D is that being an acolyte says like oh i am a person who is studying the faith in, in terms of this game right and so what if instead there was this whole story behind that, like see the rise and fall of a God when you pick this background and like follow that trajectory and see what uh, question, how you answer the questions that are presented to you along the way. Uh, and I think there's something really cool about pads there that I'm also, I've also been tinkering with in my own, in my own case studies. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, the other thing with paths is like I I really want it to be like this is this is again is like a tool. You it does it's not like when you pick a path you have to do everything on it and you have to see it through the end. Like you can fill up your clock to you know almost the whole thing and then say actually I don't want to know you know who my father is. Yeah, that, yeah. Like like that's character development too and like you know maybe maybe you count it as like finishing the clock or maybe you say nope bye. Uh, I'm not getting that move at the end or whatever it is. Um, or, you know, you can be like, I want to take this path because I want my character to be tempted by the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. God, I'm not going to call it the dark side. You know, the darkness <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Um, the void. <laughs> God. Um, except, like, you know, I'm only going to, it's only going to last two sessions and then I want, you know, the rest of the team to come in and save them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like you can do that and you can, like, play with that and you can say, okay, now that, um, you know, I've been de-radicalized, I'm getting rid of these three moves that I took mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's 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 not about, like, this is the thing that you have to do. It's, like, you can choose this, therefore, your own story benefit. Yeah, and it's the same thing. I, th- I think there's definitely something there about saying, like, it's the same effect as, like, flipping a coin between two options. It'll just tell you which one you really want. It won't decide for you. Mm-hmm. You will make the choice. It's like, ooh, do I want uh, a hot dog or a salad today? Heads hot dog tail salad flip tails nah i want the hot dog <laughs> you know what i mean also the mm-hmm. answer is obvious here so i mean unless things, but um yeah i think there's something really interesting in about creating this mechanic that sort of details a potential narrative for you and then always having an opt-out like my clock like you said the, the father one is a perfect example of like you you can walk into this room and see who your father is at this moment. And you you know, it's still within the character's purview to not open the door. They could just walk down the hall. I am too scared. Or maybe they save it for later. Like, let's put it on pause. I don't want to do it right now. Right? Like, there's yeah, a totally. lot of different ways to manipulate that. So that's why I think it's really, 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 really cool. But I think what it helps creating something like that helps create guidance for people who may not know those story beats or be able to develop those things in a clean way that doesn't get sort of murked out. Like I imagine the, you know, 50 session D and D campaign where you sort of forget what you were doing by the time session 45 comes around. (laughs) Um, So I, 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 I'm a big fan of goals. I'm a big fan of narrative goals because it creates uh, sort of a direction for everybody. So pads are going to be sick. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope so. <laughs> About trends. So... In your social circles, your communities, your own personal nebulous thoughts, what are some trends that you're seeing uh, maybe across the internet uh, that are really cool that you want people to like, really run with? What are maybe some trends that you find might are, are a little detractful from the scene you want to caution people against? Or is there any trend within you that you want to speak out into the ether as like a free idea for whoever may be listening to the show? Yeah, so the big trend that I've been seeing that I really like and hope people continue with is just, like, this is something that is not uh, in Galactic 2E at all, is, like, cool stuff with cards, like, cool mechanical things. Like, like I said, I really want to play The House Doesn't Always Win because, like, that has such a cool, like, 
gambling, um, you know, like cowed, cowed carding, card counting. <laughs> wow. Uh, mechanic. Um, it, like, like it, it does so much cool stuff with cards. Um, the big one that like blew my mind um, that, that kind of is, is similar in some ways uh, is Tension by Adira Slattery. Oh, actually, The House Doesn't Always Win is by uh, Wheels Wellen. Um, like, like, Tension is really cool. It uses a tarot deck and all of the major arcana are um, characters. And so, like, you are dealing out characters in the same way that you are dealing out, like, the moves that you can do with those other, um, like, the minor arcana, I think, are, like, kind of actions that you do. Um, like, that is, it's, it's so cool to me. And I kind of have two games that, one of them is, like, genuinely in development. It will come out, you know, probably in the fall. Um, that I am working on with one of my best friends, Laura, who I, like, we met in high school, and I got her into game design, and it makes me so happy. Um, and so she's, like, a huge, like, the biggest Les Mis fan in the world. And so we're working on, like, a Les Mis-inspired game that, like, I am so <laughs> excited about. It's a game of mini games, and each of them, all you need is a deck of cards. Um, and so, like, it's been really cool to try to make all of those games because there's, I think, 13 that we have right now, mm. um, which I think will be the, like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's all we got. <laughs> um, I, I don't think we need any more at this point. Um, it, like, each of them, we wanted to have, like, a distinct, unique mechanic so, like, it didn't confuse people. And so, like, it's really, like, been stretching kind of our, like, game design Um like, for example, we were working on it. Um, the reason it's going to take so long to come out is because we work on it, like, twice a month when our schedules line up, and, like, that's it. Um, you know, it's it's a good way to do game design, though. You know, just little short bursts. Mm. Um, so, like, last week, we were hanging out, and we're trying to work on it, and we decided we wanted a game, uh, like, a trial game, where one person is kind of pleading their case, and the other person is the judge. Um, Les Mis fans will probably recognize where, where this comes from. <laughs> And it was like, okay, we want this to be different from the confrontation game, which is kind of about two people on equal footing trying to argue or fight or, like, you know, whatever, like, like two people competing at this, like, equal ground. We want this to be, like, the judge has all of the power and the defendant or whatever you want to call them, like, just kind of is, like, doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. And so, like, my first instinct was like, just for a trial game was basically, oh, do the thing that we do for the confrontation game, which is basically, like, which, which don't get me wrong, I love that game, too. It has some cool stuff. I don't want to give it all away, um, but it, I, I'm really proud of, like, the way that, that kind of works, but basically, it's just war two out of three, you know? Mm-hmm. You, you draw two, you draw one card each, and then whoever has the higher card wins, and it's two out of three. Um, so, like, that was kind of my first thought for it, right, where you're, like, arguing, but because we'd already used that, we were like, well, this has to be different. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that really got us to think of, like, what would be, like, a what would, like, really, really work. So we ended up with this, like, really cool game where the defendant is basically, like, gambling. Where, like, every time they, um, like, make a case, like, there's different moves they can do, you know. Like, you know, say, say you know, like, ask for forgiveness, provide an alibi, whatever. Um, every time they do that, the judge is drawing a new card. And it's, like, a gambling thing because the higher the card value, the worse the punishment is. Mm -hmm. And the judge can only pick from the cards that they have. So you might just do one thing, the judge draws an ace, and then you say, I'm done. And then they say, well, I have to let you go. Or you might, you know, do do your one thing, the judge draws a, like a king, 
and the judge is like, listen, I didn't want to have to do this, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, so like, it's a, it's, it's a very cool kind of thing that, like, we never would have come up with if, like, we didn't have all these other games, and I am just, I, I think that, like, there's, there's a lot of potential with cards and the way that they work. Oh, and then the other one, the other game that's, like, in development in the sense that um, I think it's really cool, and sometimes I try to work on it, and then I go, ugh, <laughs> this is never going to get finished. <laughs> um, you and me both. <laughs> is um, a game that started kind of as like, oh, this would be an interesting like dungeon crawl, I guess. And then Hades came out, and I was oh. like, yeah, it's this, it's the, it's this thing. Um, <laughs> it's this. And like that was like, God, Hades was like a lightning strike of like, I don't even, I, I, I don't play video games, mm. so, like I haven't played it. Um, I have complicated feelings about like I've watched a bunch of cutscenes and like you know I. I have a lot of problems with it, but, like, mm-hmm. God, that game was just, like, the perfect burst of inspiration for, for this game. Mm-hmm. Um, where, basically, like, you have a tarot deck and a regular deck of cards. The tarot deck represents the rooms that you're going into, mm-hmm. and then the deck of cards represents, like, the extra enemies and the items that you have and whatever else is in the game, something else. Um, oh, like, you have, like, money and you also have items. Um, and so, like, it's a very cool, like, core loop that I want to add a bunch of stuff, like, more stuff to, where, like, you know, you have enemies, and, like, like I've written some of them already, where, like, you have, you know, like, oh, you drew the king of hearts, and that means that it's, like, this person, and when you defeat them, then you mark this thing, and when you've defeated them enough times, you get, a pow- like, a bunch of stuff, and, you know, will it ever happen? Who knows? <laughs> uh, Hades, uh, great game. Uh, I've also been playing uh, Curse of the Dead Gods, which is a similar genre of game. Uh, I know you said you don't play a, a ton of video games, but the point I latch on to that specifically is because in in the thing I was told you about a little bit off off mic of this thing that's been grabbing my mind and I can't mm. let it go is sort of like taking the dungeon delve concept. It, it combines like three things or two things, three things, two things. Two things. It takes the Dungeon Delve concept and tries to combine, like, the Metroidvania feel of, like, having special powers that unlock specific paths in a dungeon. So, like, in concept, you might go to... I'm going to use D&D so that it's easy to, like, delineate abilities. But, like, you go to a temple. Like, it's classified as a temple space. And one Mm -hmm. of the ways to open... uh, this door with a god's face in the recess is that a paladin has to divine smite it to open it up. There's no other way to open up this door. So like sort of the concept of locking keys is to figure out how to integrate this. I need a specific ability to go in beyond the dungeon. And people are like, well, if you do that, they can't explore the dungeon. And I say, why is that a bad thing? Just record it and come back later. Right. This very cool, like, and then that creates like the run essentially from uh, these roguelike games like Hades or Curse of the Dead Gods or uh, Slay the Spire is also an example of this in, in a way. And it's just this concept of like, cool, we'll come back, we'll do the run again when we have the particular ability. We need. You know, you don't complete a run if you don't have all the stuff unlocked. Like it's hard to. Uh, so I find it really interesting that you have also landed on figuring out sort of a similar I'm also using playing cards but I'm taking I'm using like fighting game mechanics to sort of delineate my stuff but we should we should chat about some things after we this should. we should chat about some things um any other trends that you want to speak to uh as far as this section in particular goes um I think I 
I mean, I don't want to be, like, mean or say that, like, I guess my my other thing is, like, I wish that more people would, and maybe I'm just not being fair and I'm just not looking at the right games, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I... I have a very particular taste in like layout, mm-hmm. um, in that I want it to, like like I make mine very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I want the game to kind of stand out, and like I don't like I don't want to say like people should stop doing layouts that I don't like because like pe- not everyone is me. Yeah, yeah. But I think there is a trend recently of like people wanting to do these like crazy Gonzo like layouts that sometimes sacrifice readability mm-hmm. um, and like understandability for like style and like that's totally valid you know like i'm not gonna say i'm gonna say like because this game doesn't do the thing that i want that means that like it's bad Mm -hmm. because like you know i am a person who can appreciate like dadaism because it's cool it's cool like it's it's, you know like i i am not a I, i am not a visual art person i'm the person who goes to an art museum and reads all of the plaques because that's what i find interesting you know hey hey um so like you know that's it's fine, but I I I do at least want people to know like you don't have to do that like like there are a bunch of different ways to make games and like I I'm really proud of my layouts and I think that like they do a good job conveying you know like the ones the the, the recent ones yeah the ones the ones that aren't really old and are just downloaded Google Docs mm-hmm. um <laughs> like like I really want to make sure that it's like. You know the game. The game is first because I am mm-hmm. like very much just a mechanics enjoyer. I I read games and I'm like, wow, that's such a cool mechanic. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's my favorite part of it. I I like game design. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you would expected me to say that, but like I really like game design. <laughs> hey, there might be. A, I don't know if anyone on the show doesn't like game design and has talked about game design. So thanks for thanks for saying. And I'll challenge all of the 36 guests to be like, do you like game design? Hit <laughs> hit me at Jeremy Gage five. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, I think here's, here's the thing. One, uh, I guess to preface is visual layout is subjective. It is an art form. Game design is an art form. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I am also in a space of agreeance. I had, uh, Clayton Notestein on here, uh, who talked about visual layout and sort of, it's supposed to be something that creates clarity. Um, and it adds to the experience rather than takes away from the experience of the game. And then I also had the designers behind Gem Room Games, Kali Laurie and Dan Phipps, who talked about their game, uh, Duckborg. Wait, did I get that right? Yes, Duckborg. Um, in that a lot of people have been trying to, like, like when Morkborg came out, it was like, oh, this thing gives us permission to, like, go absolutely ape shit with design with like visual design. And that's not necessarily true because there is a code to crack on Morkborg's design on the stuff. That's like less important to the game mechanics. Sure. It's super gonzo and artistic and uses 18 different fonts on a single page, but on the sections of the book that talk about how to operate the game it is clean. It is clear. It is understandable. And I think some people are missing that. And there is a delicate balance between creating something that is software, right? Like a, a game is technically software that you're running in the computer mm. of your mind and something <laughs> wow, that, I love that. <laughs> and something that is an art piece, right? Something that is like when you look at Morkborg for the first time, it's like, holy shit, this makes me feel things. But and I'm not saying Morkborg is the only game that does that, but 
there's a balance that Mork Borg has struck where it is both an art piece that looks nice to have inside of your space that you can show off to people, and it is also software your computer can read. Otherwise, if you create just an art piece, are you trying to run, like, an iOS app on your Windows computer? Because that's not going to fly. You know what I mean? Like, there's, <laughs> it's in one ecosystem of design space. Actually, now that I've made this analogy, I'm now trying to, like, box in every game that, like, makes me feel like I'm on a different operating system than everywhere else. <laughs> God, that's that's so powerful. The Jeremy Yeah, OS. I mean... Like, like to be clear, I am the kind of person who looks at Morkborg and goes, "No, no, can you can you take away all that? Like, yeah, I just yeah. can you just give me a Google Doc? Like, I am a person who like am I am like physically incapable of like doing a lot of like, especially like even if it's not being printed out, I'm like I want as much game as possible on a single page yeah. without it being overwhelming yeah. because like I just want to take it all in. Like that's how I that's how I enjoy like reading games is just like give, just give it to me just just show me all the mechanics and like obviously like you know i'm sure someone is screaming at their phone right now like but but the layout helps with the game design sometimes and like yes that is absolutely mm -hmm. true and you know i'm sure that there's a thousand games that i like right now that i could point to and be like yeah this proves me wrong mm -hmm. but also like that's that's also just how i feel mm -hmm. i think the thing <laughs> to take away from this particular trend is to denote that you can definitely overdo it with visual design. I don't think this is a space where either of us are saying like, don't do visual design. Don't like really try to like push the boundaries on graphic design for your game. But there is a point at which it starts to harm its accessibility to a general amount of individuals rather than a select few who just may not like your, your particular uh, visual motifs. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Uh, any trends within yourself that you want to speak out into the ether? Mm. Hmm. I I wish that I had a good answer for that because that's fun. I don't know. Um, I want I want I want to see Galactic Two E hacks so bad. Sure, sure. <laughs> like I mean, I have one. I have one planned eventually because like I. We were speaking about uh, binge watching earlier, mm -hmm. and uh, another big one for me was I watched all 38 episodes. They're like 45 minutes to an hour episodes of Black Sails in four days, um, <gasps> like a year and a half ago, mm -hmm. I think. Maybe, I don't know, time is fake again. <laughs> um, and like ever since then, I was like, I'm going to write a Black Sails game. And like I ha I've had like so many different ideas that have just like gone nowhere. And then I made Galactic TV, and I was like, yes, perfect. So I'm going to eventually make my black sales game i feel like it's become a joke um like to me where i'm like when i make my black sales game um, <laughs> i'll be but i think rich. i think kazumi chen is the only one who who would recognize that joke because um, <laughs> they they like to to joke about me never making that game um <laughs> but one day but besides that i feel like there's a lot like i, re I really like somebody to write like a royal intrigue one mm. because i ha i i really enjoy royal intrigue mm -hmm. um you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff. I made a tweet at some point that was like, here's all the cool things you could do with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I can't think of them right now. But I, I really would like to see that. And not not just because, like, oh, do do my thing. Um, but also, like, do my thing, but better. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd love to see people add on to, like, like because so much of Galactic 2E is, like, taking stuff from Wander Home and obviously belonging outside belonging and kind of putting my spin on it. And I'd love to see, like, then people take my stuff and put their own spin on it. You know, like that's, that's game design. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I, and Galactic 2E is definitely a hackable game. Like really uh, create a specific 
like story experience, like setting experience, right? This is hardcore, like Star Wars uh, distilled, right? So could you execute that with like the crown, right? Like if you were talking about royal intrigue or could you do um, like Westworld, right? Things like that. Mm. Could you execute on Game of Thrones, right? As trash as the last seasons were, uh, but could you execute that in the way of like the pillars are the families, right? Like what if each pillar was like the Starks, the, 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 God, it's been so long. The Lannisters. Lannisters. Others. <laughs> Someone who knows better than I, if you're listening to this, you can go wiki the houses. I'm not going to do it right now. I'm not. Yeah, I am. I am constantly just wanting something in my life that's Game of Thrones, but good. I never watched the show, mm-hmm. um, but I did read the first book and a half mm-hmm. and I was like enthralled by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I just kind of stopped um, <laughs> after that. Just because, I, I don't know. Um, I think I was at a point where I couldn't use my phone, and so I just was reading. <laughs> and then I got my phone back, and I was like, well. Um, back to the internet I go. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I, I keep, I that is, that is like, what I want. Like, I love the way that it has, like, all of these different points of view, mm. and they, like, all are kind of jerks, but <laughs> also, like, they, they have, like, their reasons, and, like, they're vying for power. Oh, yeah, that's, I really do want that. Please, someone write Game of Thrones, Galactic 2E. Yeah, yeah, I think it could be done for sure. Um, amazing. Amazing, good, great, great, good. Riley, thumbs up. Uh, last little bit here for the show, because we're at the, we're reaching the hour 20 mark here. Uh, tips, tips and tricks per Riley. <laughs> Let's see what we can give the people today. So normally... Uh, I've now reached the point in my career of this show where I'm not using the dice rolls anymore because I roll a lot of fours. A lot of people talk about marketing, and they're not well equipped <laughs> to talk about marketing. Uh, <laughs> so says them. I think otherwise because they have games that have sold, and I don't. So as far as marketers, they're uh, relatively more superior than I am. Is there a tip that you can give for sort of the game designs we've talked a lot about how you've been taking inspirations and putting them into sort of distilled experiences uh of game design how like what is your process for going about doing that what's some things that you find yourself repeating in your process i know every process is probably a little bit different but what's something like what's a way you start or maybe what's something you sort of examine when you come to a roadblock things like that yeah so I don't know how much it would apply to my BOB games just because, like, that is, uh, like, a system that already exists, Mm -hmm. um, which isn't my usual thing. Like, I feel like I've kind of been trapped by BOB the past, like, you know, a little over a year, um, which is super weird because um, 2019 I released, like, a bajillion games and I've released, like, three um, in, like, since 2020. Um, Time. Yeah, yeah, um, you know. (laughs) 2020 sure was a time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, like, like what I what I do like doing, what I really want to go back to um, after I get the rest of the Galactic 2E stuff, like, poured out of my brain, um, is, is, like, different systems with, like, new mechanics, which, which is what I'm doing with, with uh, me and Laura's game, Music of the People. Um, and I, I, I start with figuring out, like, what do I want this game to be about? Like, okay, I, I, I do generally take inspiration from, like, one or two things. Um, just just because I don't consume a lot of media, 
um, like I consume a lot of media in short bursts, mm. but I don't really consume like a lot of it. Like I feel like people have these things where they're like, oh yeah, this it was inspired by like these seven different TV shows and movies. And I'm like, well, it was inspired by these like eight different games and this one <laughs> TV show that I watched. Um, which, you know, ho- however you choose to experience media, that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, but, like, so, you know, I'll take, like, let's say, um, what's a good, like, like my best example would be The Riot Starts, which is my, my Hadestown-inspired game. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I want to make a game based on Hadestown. Um, that could be a lot of things. Other people have made games based on Hadestown. There's some good ones out there um, that are very different from mine. Like, what do I want mine to be? Well, what I really want is, like, an alternate universe where Orpheus decides to stay and do a revolution. Because, like, that is what I am constantly imagining in my mind. <laughs> um, like, okay, so that is, that's a thing. I want it to be, like, about a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, what else interests me about Hadestown? Like, why do I want this to be about Hadestown specifically? Well, Hadestown has these great themes about... Um, not the Broadway version. Broadway version, do not interact. Um, I'm talking about the ones before that. Um, listen to the New York Theater Workshop and the concept album. Um, uh, it, it like it has these great themes of like um, isolation versus like connection in the way that like having relationships and having connections to other people is really important in the way that like when we don't feel like we have those connections, we feel isolated and can be taken advantage of and like can lose our way. Mm-hmm. So I want that to be, like, a core part of this game. Um, those are probably the main things. Oh, and also, like, like you're, you're dead. You're, like, you're all dead. You're in the underworld. <laughs> um, and, like, a lot of that flavor kind of influenced it, too. But, but those were kind of the main things. Mm-hmm. And so it, it took me a while to come up with those mechanics, which is why, like, I think it's, it's a really good example in my mind because, like, I was spending months being like, okay, I'm almost there. I, I have dice, and they do a thing. I don't know. Um, and the real, like, breakthrough moment was, like, oh, what if it's not everyone individually has these, like, like stats or whatever? What if you have, like, a collective dice pool? Hmm. And then, like, you also have these individual ones for, like, stuff that you do that's, like, bad or, like, um, you know, like, that's the isolation. But the ones that are about community are in the center. Hmm. And that's kind of how I came up with, with the main mechanic of the game, which is, like, you have these, um, I, I believe they're just called die generation moves where basically, like, every playbook has one, which was, like, a very early inspiration from B.O.B. of being, like, okay, but what if there was one move and you could make it either strong or weak, depending on how you did it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you do if you do your move in a way that is beneficial to your cause and, like, helps bring people together, then you put it in the middle community pool. And if you do it in a way that's selfish, um, then you do it in your um, alienation, is what I called it. You have your alienation dice. And then you roll all the dice once you finish with a round and... Um, whatever has the highest numbers, then, like, that's the one that wins. So, like, you know, if community wins, then that's, like, a, a good thing for your revolution. If isolation wins, then it might be bad. Um, so that's kind of how that came together. Was that, the, I guess that, that kind of just ended up me, me, me being talking about the right starts. Um, but, like, like, I think the main thing there is, like, the, at least, like, the way that I do it is I think, like, okay, I, wanna, I want to make a thing based on this, you know, story that I like. What about that story? Because, like, like, you know, you could make a Hadestown game that to- has nothing to do with that at all. Like, I think there is one that's, like, a solo game where you play Orpheus, mm-hmm. um, like, being tempted. And, like, that's, by definition, not in my game. <laughs> um, or um, I think there's also one that's kind of similar to that. That's, like, a two-player game mm-hmm. in the same respect. 
Um, and, you know, there's there's totally other games. Oh, and there's, like, Heaven in the Dust. Oh, my God. There's Heaven in the Dust by Luke Jordan, uh, Games from the Wildwood, a fantastic B.O.B. Uh, game that was, like, a huge inspiration to me. The first B.O.B. game, I'm, I'm pretty sure, to say ask one left and one right instead of just ask one left, which is, like, important to me. <laughs> um, it's good. Which, which is also, which is, like, a totally different kind of, like, taking the inspiration of the, like, Dust Bowl-esque setting of Hadestown um, and being, like, what if you played gods, except they weren't gods. They were, like, people in the Dust Bowl. Like, it rules. It's, it's very good. Um, so, like, there's, there's so many different things you can do, and you have to say, like, what interests me specifically? Like, what do I want? Like, like, because it's not just about saying, like, what do I want to be, like, present in this game that is also in the story? Um... It's also about saying, like, what do I want to be able to be different, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes I'll, I'll be thinking about a game, and then I'll be like, wait, like, what do I even... Like, like Teen Beach Movie mm-hmm. is um, a Disney Channel original movie from 2013 that it's very deeply important to me. Um, I'm going to make everyone that follows me on Twitter watch it eventually. <laughs> um, it, and, like, I keep thinking, like, I want to make a game about this, but it's so hard for me to decide, like, what part of it... I can let go of, mm-hmm. you know, like, do I want this to be a game about people who um, fall into fall into their favorite movie and meet the people and everything else? Like all of the kind of themes about. Um, Jesus Christ, a- about kind of like the the social pressures of um, like e- existing in the 50s and blah, 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 you know, like like and, and kind of like not being able to be yourself, like, do I want to throw that stuff away, or do I want it to be about, like, people meeting each other, and, uh, you know, like, like finding out that, that there, that there are different ways of existing, and do I want to throw away the whole, like, going into a movie musical, like, you know, um, like, it's, it's so hard for me to let go of any of that, so that game is never going to be made, because if I tried to write the game, it would just be, play out the events of Teen Beach Movie, and, like, that's not a good game, (laughs) Um, so, so like figuring out like what are what are like the core things mm-hmm. that I want to be like. These are the themes that I want, and these are the themes that like I want this game to be about. And then also being like, and you know, with that, like, what are the things that I want people to be able to fill in and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say with those two examples, it sounds like the two things that, and this is me as an outside observer, based on two points of interaction for Riley's entire persona. Uh, (laughs) But based on those two examples, it seems like you try to find the core that you resonate with so deeply about a particular narrative or something or inspiration. And then you find the twist. Like you say, okay, I uh, want to do, I want to do Hadestown, but instead Orpheus stays for revolution, right? Like it's the instead part. Like I want to do this thing, but instead, and I feel like that is a very interesting process to go around because I think it allows for you to, and and why in coupling with Teen Beach Movie is that you can't find the core because you love every facet of the movie, <laughs> right? So you can't like distill to the it's piece. It's perfect, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it is the perfect piece of media. You are all sleeping. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, Citizen Kane, Paddington 2, never heard of yeah. it. Teen Beach movie. <laughs> Please. Where are you at? At me. Uh, <laughs> or don't at me. Uh, but, you know, you can't you can't find the core of that, so how do you twist it, right? What do you want to make different mm-hmm. about something that you sort of uh, have an encompassing love about, right? And maybe there's something there. Maybe it's about stepping back and saying, like, okay, the core is 
the entirety of Teen Beach Movie, how can I twist on top of that, right? Like, I mean, listen, listen. That would be the kind of thing that they would do. Like, like it's very meta. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, listen, I'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's definitely like a good way to put it. Like all of my games, not all of them, all of my games that I'm like, this is based on this thing. Because mm. um, not all of them yeah. are. Um, all of those are... Just, like me being like, man, I really wish that I could like this. Mm-hmm. You know, like Hades Town is something that's very important to me, and I love it. Um, but you know, especially with the Broadway version that they just absolutely ruined mm-hmm. in like a story way and a politics way, it's just, just awful. It's, ugh. Um, but like I, I wrote the right starts before, um, <laughs> before I watched Hades Town, the first performance after the Tonys after, like, they won all the Tonys um, and sobbed my way through most of it because I was so disappointed by all the changes that they made. Um, Except except for um, I sobbed during um, If It's True because they changed those lyrics to be, like, hyping up for revolution, and I was like, oh, my God, this is my game. And that was, like, Happy Tears. But then right after that, they went into a song that no longer made sense because of the lyrics that they changed. And I was like, "Um, it's... God, I mean, I could, I could, and I did. I was on a podcast once to talk about Doakate and ended up going on like a twenty-minute rant about Hades Town. So, like, um, you know, it is in fact like that. Um, I don't remember what I was saying now. You saying that was it was a good way? To oh, put oh, it. just, just sorry, just, just like all of my games that are explicitly based on something are like, you know, like Galactic Two E was like, man, Star Wars has some really cool ideas. I don't care about like what they are doing in most of the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like I want to, like, like I want to take that and like be able to tell my own stories with it. Mm. You know, the riot starts was like, Hades Town has some really cool stuff. Um, and I do like the ending of that. It's not like I'm like, ugh, the tragedy is too sad. <laughs> um, but, but like, you know, what if it was this other thing? Because like, that's the thing that it makes me think about. Mm. Um, probably other examples, but yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of my games are based on like a weird partial spite (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i think that's maybe maybe the twist isn't uh, particularly like the the true version of of that of that distillation of of this tip maybe it's more of like uh what is the core and how do i embellish it right like what is this thing that i love so deeply about this particular piece of inspiration and how do i make it bigger grander like how do i talk about the pieces that uh, are sort of unexplored by the home property, the home intellectual property, right? Yeah. Um, I think it, I think that's very cool. I think it's very, um, I feel woke right now. Uh, I hope that there are listeners that are tasting the juice and also waking up because I think that it's good. Uh, amazing. That, uh, that, that was brilliant, Riley. Do you have anything else uh, for the listeners before we head, head into closing here? Um, I don't think so. Great. Uh, well, then, Riley, as we approach an hour and a half here, it has been an absolute gem of a pleasure to have you on the show. For the last bit here, would you once again tell people where they can find you, find your games, get in contact with you if they want to get in contact with you? All of these uh, places that Riley is about to mention will be in the show notes for your access listeners. Yeah, cool. Uh, thank you for having me. I was... I also had a blast. Um, so, that's an animal. Crossing. You, 
Um, you can find me on Twitter at Riley Rethel. Um, you can find my games at metagame.h.io. Uh, you can specifically find Galactic. I mean, it's also just like on the first row, so it shouldn't be hard. But you can find that at metagame.h.io slash Galactic. Oh, actually, there is one, one more thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just because I mentioned like Galactic 2e hacks and stuff. Um, I'm running, uh, I was kind of peer pressured into running a Galactic 2e game jam on itch, mm-hmm. um, which like I have, I was not expecting so many people to like do that already. Like there's already like eight or nine things and it's only been going for like maybe two weeks. Um, like not even, I don't think. Um, and so like, that's very cool. So you should check those out because those are very good. Make your own if you want. Um, I love it. I'm I'm working on like a cyberpunk expansion um, eventually. I really would love to see more people do like because all of them have kind of been like, oh, these are Star Wars tropes that I'm like doing. And like those are obviously awesome. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to see people be like, what if other stuff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if other thing good? What if you just had Captain Kirk in Star Wars? I don't yeah. know. Just do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not writing that. Somebody else. Yeah. Can take that. <laughs> uh, great. Amazing. Well, everyone. It has been amazing to listen to Riley here today. I've learned a lot. I hope you did too. And we will catch you on the next episode. Say bye to the people, Riley. Bye. Bye. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Riley and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes, such as getting in touch with Riley or other episodes with similar topics. If you want to be a part of the conversation, please come and join the community Discord server. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Draw Your Dice Patreon, where you can get access to early releases of episodes from as soon as we interview. Thanks again for stopping by, and as always, I will catch you next time.